You're not recording, are you? This meeting is being recorded. (laughs) From Bureaucracy's Basement to your ears, this is the bonus Olympic edition of the Queen City Improvement Bureau. Each week, the dedicated staff of the Bureau takes place in Olympic events such as report filing and recommendation making and drinking water from the boiler pipes uh, as we sleep on a bed of dot matrix printer paper. You know the drill. One day, maybe, we'll pull vault our way out of this sub-sub-basement, but until that day comes, this city is not going to improve itself. So here we stay, fixing things, improving things, olympically. This meeting is now in session. Hello. Hello, greetings. Happy Olympics. Oh, happy Olympics to you too. Yes, not many people know this, but this is a satellite Olympic uh, outpost where we're doing a special sub-sub-basement Olympic competitions. I, I have my cardboard bed. Excellent. And uh, I have uh, I have COVID. So so, it's all, so it all works out. That's, uh, that's very Olympic of you. Thank you. I do, I do not actually have COVID. Oh, that's too bad, because that would be the most Olympian thing about you, is if you had. I know. I, I, I'm aware. But I've, I'm wondering if maybe lying about my COVID-positive status would be an Olympic event. I don't know. I don't know what they're doing over there. I have my 100% not fake Canadian mm-hmm. Olympic jean jacket. Really? Yep. Does it, is that what it says on the back? Embroidered 100% not fake Canadian Olympic jean jacket? Yep. Yep. Cool. Well, it's stitched on the inside. And I definitely did not just take a crappy old jean jacket that was lying around in the basement and scrawl Canada on it with a Sharpie. I didn't do that. It's a real jacket, I swear. Exactly. I mean, that is a very specific uh, set of things you obviously didn't do. Mm-hmm. Anyway, shall we, uh, shall we take uh, our special Olympics attendance? I, yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Okay. Our first attendee is, and uh, this, is, this is actually doubles as also an award. Uh, our first attendee is Simone Biles. Ooh. I love Simone Biles. Olympic award winner and uh, a holder, I think, of the most gold medals in the world for gymnastics, Simone Biles. Uh, She recently stepped down from from her team, uh, citing mental health problems. Uh, And uh, so we were able to get her to come into the sub-sub basement to accept the uh, Way to Go, You Do You Olympics award. Brilliant. She deserves it. I agree. I couldn't agree more. And so Simone Biles, please come in and accept your award. I I don't see her, Aiden. You you know what? Neither do I. Um, So in that case, uh, uh, accepting that award in her place will be Paul Deschen. Oh, I'm so honored to be accepting this award for Simone Biles. Should Should I do a speech or anything? No, no, Olympic attendees do not do speeches. In fact, even saying that you were honored 
is in violation of uh, the Olympic uh, International Olympic Committee. Oh, geez. I hope, yeah. I hope it didn't endanger her award. Uh, well, no, that didn't endanger her award, but she did, just, by not showing up, she cost us a few seconds of dead air, which is a sin in Radioland. So therefore, I revoke her award. That's fair. That's totally fair. I, I agree. So that's, uh, And therefore, the gold medal of your dreams will not be around your neck anymore. It was never really my gold medal. Yeah, but I mean, you could tell people it was your gold medal. You know, I mean, realistically, I mean, it, it would take a while for, for it to show. I mean, she has so many, right? Yeah. Like she's going to like miss an extra one. So, I mean, you could keep that around your neck and say, yeah, I won the gold medal, NBD. Uh, and then look uh, mysterious. Maybe wear a cape and one of those slouch hats. Do you think she wears her medals all the time? Like, could that contribute to why she wanted to, like, you know, step back from competition? Well, apparently her wearing, like, all sort of 27 gold medals at once uh, was part, is partly, like, her contributed to her amazing core strength. Right. Right. And then before competition, she takes them off, and the comparative lightness means she feels she can, like, flip and vault and fly even like to an even greater degree than she could. Yeah, like Aeschylus uh, speaking with rocks in his mouth to improve right. his or- orating skills. Yeah. Right. See, all, always with the little historical facts, I am. That is you. You're an award-winning uh, hi- history guy. Yes, yes. I have a gold medal in understanding history. The history understander is what they call me. Yep. It's, uh, it's engraved into my gold medal. Is it? Yes. In the back, and it, well, in the front it says that, but then in the back it says to take back one kadam in honor of the Lord. <laughs> so I don't get, so apparently I don't, like, I don't, all my accomplishments are for naught because I lose a kadam. I'm sorry to hear that, Ed. I am, so, as am I. Anyway, should we move on to our second attendee? Absolutely. Okay, our second Olympic attendee is Booth Tarkington. Okay, I don't know who Booth Tarkington is. Well, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't like an Olympic athlete. He was, in fact, a very popular novelist from the early 20th century. Oh. Did he have any connection to the Olympics? No, but there's, not that I know of, but he is winning an award tonight, and that is having a name that sounds like it should belong to an Olympic athlete. Oh, And it's yeah. the first annual Olympics Booth Tarkington Gold Award. That's well-deserved. Exactly. And ima- imagine being named Booth in this day and age. Really, the award should go to his parents. You know, let's, let's, not, let's not relitigate who gets the award. A gold medal in naming daring. You know, that's, that's a whole different award, and that is, you're just stirring up more unnecessary Olympic controversy. I can't, I can't handle this revisionist Olympics history happening on my watch. I won't have it. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. Well, maybe I'll maybe I'll have it. I don't know. But uh, in the meantime, let's just give this thing to Booth so he can get his award and just get back to well, apparently being dead. So he's not coming to the meeting. You know, when you put it that way, um, no, I guess not. Well, do you want to accept the award for him or? Uh, it says here posthumously. Will yeah, that'd be accept you. the award posthumously on his behalf. Okay. Good. So we're waiting wait for him to show up, or is that me? No, that's you. That oh, is you. Okay, I could, I could not have handled more bureaucracy at this point. Yeah. 
So just the paperwork and getting somebody else, like a, another living person in here, uh, just ridiculous. Although that is literally your job doing paperwork. Yeah, but it's not like I like or am good at the job. No, that's fair. If we take away all the paperwork, then we don't have jobs. That's a good point. Although I bet if we, uh, if we had no jobs, we'd have to do a lot of paperwork to justify that. That's true. All right. So uh, we're both here. Yep. Do we have quorum? We don't have quorum, I'm sorry no. to say. All we have are medals, which apparently we don't even have. No, we don't have those either. You know, we've got this basement, we have each other, and we have a meeting. So we should, we should get on with that meeting. All right. There's not a lot on the agenda tonight. I'm sorry to say. It's summer. The doldrums of summer. Right. So there's not a lot going on at City Hall. But you know what is going on in the Queen City Improvement Bureau? What's going on? Lead Awareness Day is coming oh. up. Oh, I am, I am aware. It's, I feel like here it's Lead Awareness Awareness Day. Yeah. We are very aware of the, the Awareness Day for lead. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's August 2nd. So 8-2 in honor of lead's atomic number of 82. Sweet. And it's a day to remember and to just be aware that lead exists on the, uh, on the periodic table of elements. It's a heavy metal. Which is automatically cool. Uh, if you want to celebrate Lead Awareness Day, you can just drink water in uh, <laughs> any of the core neighborhoods of the city of Regina. Right. Cathedral. What about Lakeview? Oh, Lakeview. Yep. You have about a, I think it's about a 6% chance of getting a tap with lead in it in Lakeview. Nice. Very nice. Cathedral. If you want to be drinking some lead, that's your place to go. You've got a 20% chance of getting a tap with uh, an, a, a connection to a lead service connector. That, that explains a lot about local politics in the cathedral neighborhood. It really does. Uh, yeah. Get out there. Celebrate lead. Be aware of lead. You can also go to the uh, to our website, queencityib.com, and on the memos page, there are some posters that you can print out if that's a thing you want to do to celebrate Lead Awareness Day. And believe me, you do. Yep. And they feature our mascot for Lead Awareness Day, Plumbo, the lead ostrich. He's not actually made of lead, but he's aware of lead. He's very aware of lead. And given, given his erratic temper... And, uh, and cognitive issues, uh, it's, very, it's a good chance he's actually ingested quite a lot of lead. Yeah, very, very likely. You know, I'm hoping that if, you know, COVID is gone by next Lead Awareness Day, we'll be able to have like Plumbo out at events uh, in the community, um, getting hugs from kids, giving them glasses of water. Right, and poss- possibly, you know, attempting to kick and disembowel people as well. Yeah. Because Plumbo, Plum, like the, the level of lead in Plumbo's blood has kind of turned him a little insane. And ostriches are freaky creatures to begin with. It's true. And a lot of them have syphilis. So there you go. Is that true or is that a bit? <laughs> that is, that is I, I have no idea. I, I just said it, but it's, I like the idea of syphilitic ostriches. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stick with that. Until proven otherwise, I'm going to stick with ostriches have like 80% of them are, are syphilitic. I thought it might be like bats with rabies. <laughs> I know. 
I, I, heard, I heard the pause. I was like, oh, okay. So yeah, Lead Awareness Day, August 2nd. Uh, enjoy it. Enjoy the lead because we're going to have it in our drinking water for at least another 15 years as the city is taking the slowest route uh, of the uh, options they were presented at council to get the lead out. Wow. So that means we've got like 2021, 20, 20, 30, 36 until. Yeah. That's, that's a while. Yep. That is quite a while. We will be, we will be celebrating lead awareness day until our retirement. Yep. 2036. God, that's, that's hard to think of, but yeah, that's when it's happening. Uh, people should know, like if you do think you have lead pipes or that you have a lead service connector, you can phone up the city at 777-7000. The city will do a lead test for you. Um, they're actually restarting their in-person lead testing, which is far superior, I'm told, to the, um, the, the kits that they would send to houses because they actually do like multiple tests for a house. And they'll let you know if, uh, if there is a concerning level of lead in your water. Many people have been finding out that they have lead that is like many times what, you know, households in uh, Flint, Michigan faced when uh, the uh, lead in the drinking water scandal was erupting there. Uh, one thing that we are not doing that they were doing in Flint is they were testing kids down there to find out if kids had uh, signs of lead poisoning or, you know, lead in their bloodstream. Uh, we're not doing that here in any sort of systematic way. So whether or not uh, the lead that's been in the drinking water since, you know, for 100 years, if it's had an impact. Concerning elements to it are that uh, there's a lot of lead in Heritage Neighborhood and Cathedral and uh, North Central. And these are neighborhoods that have, uh, you know, a lot of lower income families. And uh, the lead filters that the city provides for free are kind of crap. Like they break the ones that went on taps, they would break. And the Brita filters thing everybody needs to know is that if you get a free filter, they're incredibly slow and you have to be constantly making lead free water so that you have it. And then if you like make pasta, all the water you've run through your filter is used up. And these filters actually don't remove all the lead. They're lead reducing. And you know, the Canadian guideline is that no level of lead is safe because it does bioaccumulate. So if you drink any, it's there forever or for a very, very, very long time. And so it's like you have a lead budget and you don't want to use it up just by drinking the water in Regina. But that's what we're asking people to do. On that happy wow. note. Very happy. Uh, we are on 91.3 FM CJTR, Regina Community Radio, and we are the Queen City Improvement Bureau. Other exciting things in the community uh, going on. Uh, do you remember the uh, typical nine-year-old girl who used to do bits for us? I, I remember her. Well, the typical nine-year-old girl is now a typical 15-year-old girl. She's involved with uh, Fridays for Future Regina and asked that we mention that they have a project going on right now. Uh, Fridays for Future Two years ago, well, I guess a year and a half ago, was doing uh, climate strikes at the legislature. They've put those on hold while COVID is still raging. And uh, so they're trying to do something that people can like participate and think about transportation and the climate and stuff. And they've got thing, a thing going on called the Easy Breezy Bike Challenge. Mm. And what they're asking people to do is to uh, video or take pictures of... Uh, challenging elements of transportation in Regina uh, that 
cyclists and walkers, people in wheelchairs, people who use the bus, the stuff that you encounter if you're using like non-car transit, take pictures of that, record your experiences with it, and pass those stories and uh, media on to Fridays for Future Regina because they want to build a database of like problem sites that people encounter around the city. And you can get that to them simply by posting whatever you found on social media and tagging them with the hashtag easy breezy bike challenge. All is one word spelt the way you'd think. Um, this is their, their Instagram kids. So big long hashtags are their game. So there's that going on. That'll be going on all summer long. And beyond that, we've got like this big council meeting coming up on August 11th. Right. This is going to be a pretty controversial meeting uh, because council has decided, you know, they, they love a good controversial motion with lots of delegations these days. So they've decided to consider putting fluoride into our drinking water. Um, this is motion has been uh, spearheaded by Councillor Hawkins, and uh, he has every councillor has signed on to this motion, including and Mayor Masters has as well. And uh, the motion is actually, it's not like asking for a report or anything. It's actually saying it's directing administration to set up a fluoridation program for our water like the one they have in Moose Jaw. And uh, it, it makes some sense to do this now. Uh, the Buffalo Pound Water Treatment Plant, where we get our water, is going through a renewal program. Uh, so there's actually like, you know, a whole new facility being built. And included in that will be a uh, fluoride system for Moose Jaw. We actually had uh, Harry Gara from Buffalo Pound did an interview at our last meeting and he mentioned a lot of this stuff. But uh, yeah, so this would just be a really convenient time for Regina to add fluoride to its water because we can just, you know, the Regina out pipe can be added to the fluoride pipe. Uh Because that's how it works, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) I have no reason not to believe you. And then the second motion uh, is from Councillor Landon Mole, and it's a local procurement and economic recovery motion, basically asking administration to look into whether or not we can uh, make it so that more of our uh, projects that are done within the city that the city is paying for can go to local firms, because uh, currently that's not that's not typical. Uh, Regina, by virtue of being part of the province of Saskatchewan and the country of Canada, we're bound by a whole bunch of trade agreements that basically say, you know, we can't give preferential treatment to local companies. We have to let anybody bid on stuff. So uh, I'll be curious to see if this goes anywhere, because typically right. in the past, when this has come up at council, the city solicitor has said, yeah, no. But I, I do appreciate the effort. And it is something that Landon ran on. So I'm not surprised to see this come forward. Um, yeah. But I think the, the fluoride motion is going to be bazonkers. Um, anytime, if you, if you type the word fluoride into Twitter, it takes about 45 minutes before <laughs> anti-fluoride nut jobs start sending you uh, papers about how bad fluoride is. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's like a Japanese horror movie, really where you just like you whisper <laughs> the word fluoride and then like this creature climbs out of your Twitter window and <laughs> it's all like gibbled up with like skeletal fluorosis and uh, it starts whispering to you about uh, your precious bodily fluids. Well, I mean, it, it, I, I have to say, I mean, 
So lead and fluoride, they're both substances, but somehow lead's bad and fluoride is good. Like, I mean, come on. Uh, you, you can see the holes in that logic. Yeah. It's, no, it's, it's, a, it's a really strong argument. Yes, indeed. Fluoride is a thing. Yeah. Other things are also things. So come on, people. Obviously, fluoride is bad for you. I think, you know, it's just, I like the stuff from more of the left-hand side of the periodic mm-hmm. table of elements. And yeah. lead and fluorine are both on the right-hand side. And that's, that's the shabby side. Yeah, it's a, it's a bad neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a sketchy neighborhood. Yeah. People, nobody buys houses on that side because you know, property values go right down. Yeah. Well, they're living next to the, the noble gases, which, <laughs> you know, sounds fancy, but those guys just, they're layabouts. They don't do anything. Like, good luck trying to get one of them to react is, is what I hear. <laughs> exactly. They're friggin' inert. <laughs> Not not the kind of element we want in this neighborhood. No, sir. No, sir. That's cesium, though. They're fun. Yeah, I'd hang out with the cesium. Yeah, I mean, don't don't get don't get them around water. But other than that, no, it's fine. And yeah, I always, that'll I always get find, that'll get a reaction. Indeed, and I, you know, I always find uh, I really want to get to know some of the ones high on the periodic table, like Einsteinium and so on. But you know, just when you're getting to know them, like they're gone, they decay. Like almost instantly, I, I feel I feel like I, like frankly, I feel like I need specialized equipment to even see them. I, I don't. I mean, check your privilege, people. Mm-hmm. I don't. Well, I don't not all of us have that kind of like you know those kinds of resources. They they can't commit to anything. True, true. Like they you sign a petition and then they're gone when it comes time to volunteer. Totally unreliable. Mm-hmm. All the transuraniums. Oh, yes, exactly. And just, and sickeningly, like, just, like, their yards are filthy. They're, like, just, like, throwing stuff off themselves all the time. Yeah. Make, Give me the, they, they make me sick, Aiden. They, they make do. me sick. They make me, they make, they make my hair fall out. They make my gums bleed. They give me, they give me all kinds of weird cancers. I don't need that. Give, give yeah. me something simple, like give me, give me good old hydrogen or oxygen. I mean, really, we, we know what we're getting with those. Yep. Nice, simple. One proton. Like it, like it used to be in the good old days. Back before everything mashed together into these big stellar bodies that exploded mm-hmm. and everything got complicated. Oh, I know. Like, I remember when the, the Big Bang came around, I'm like, oh, everything's so woke now. Give, give me, give me something. Like, give me something like when, when elements knew the proper place and everybody got along. Yeah. Back in the pre-Big Bang, pre-linear time days. Yeah, those were good days. Yeah, a was, man was, could be a man back then. Exactly. I mean, it was very condensed. You know, it was very hot. It was hard to move around, but at least you knew where you were supposed to be. Those were the days, my friend. Oh, I know. When there are no days at all, those were the days. Singularity. Is it too much to ask (laughs) for singularity? Apparently so. Like, apparently, like, there's, you know, all all these, like, if you look at the media, that's just too much. Yeah. No. Uh, No, you get, like, the expansion of matter and the universe and time, and then the next thing you know, they're killing off He-Man. 
They, they are. They are. They're never to return, except yeah. except he is coming back. So, so shut up, everybody. Well, I hope not. I've already like burned all of my toys. <laughs> you you fool! We now you'll have to buy them all over again. Oh damn! That, maybe that was Mattel's plan. <laughs> maybe. So we have to buy all our toys again. We have to move on to innovative revenue tools. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I understand there's something involving aluminium. There is. Uh, there, there, now, there is an element for you. Uh, aluminium and, um, you know, borosilicate, uh, you know, some glass uh, in the shape of bottles. Interesting. It's the CJTR virtual bottle drive. Exciting. Exciting. Uh, if, you, if you go to cjtr.ca and, and look for the bottle drive details, you can find them there. Essentially, uh, CJTR will uh, pick up your bottles for you, and they'll keep the money just, so, just before you get your hopes up. Or you can go into a Sarkan uh, and say, I'm donating my, uh, my bottle proceeds to CJTR, Regina Community Radio, tuned into the community. And that'll help. And it's uh, it's 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 for a good purpose. It'll keep us on the air. You can hear us, uh, you know, for all this inside Olympic uh, and uh, periodic table information. You know, that's what you're here for. Yeah. So support community radio and give us your mm. bottles. Yes, and your and 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 cans. We look yeah. for cans as well. I mean, anything that can be recycled, I guess. So yeah, bottles and cans. Yeah. And jokes. <laughs> Any jokes you want to recycle, we'll use them on the Queen City Improvement Bureau. We could totally use those. <laughs> yes, please. We need some. We really need some new jokes. Well, on that note, we will go to the pre-recorded Innovative Revenue Tools right now. The Queen City Improvement Bureau would like to acknowledge the Regina Warehouse Business Improvement District for their support of our show. The Regina Warehouse Business Improvement District. Improving the district where there are warehouses in Regina. And we're back from Innovative Revenue Tools. Oh, boy, as always, great tools. Fantastic tools. Very much well, so. Paul, I, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Was and, and forgive me if this is really like uncomfortably specific, but was somebody interviewed about something? Somebody was. Oh, man. Do you have any details? Are you having another one of your, like, spice dream uh, prescient visions? Yeah. Yes. Uh, the sleeper must awaken. Uh, the spice must flow. And somebody must be interviewed about something. It's true. Um, yeah. Uh, I spoke with uh, Richard Milgram. He's a professor of city planning in the University of Manitoba's Faculty of Architecture. And the reason I called him up is because the city has that um, the density target for market choice of housing motion coming up. And that's the motion that's asking administration to start looking into loosening up the density targets for the city and allow more sprawl, more big houses on big lots. And it's being championed by councillors Brashani, Hawkins, and Mole. It kind of contradicts a lot of the sort of principles of the official community plan around the idea of like building denser urban forms that use infrastructure better and reduce our carbon footprint. And it occurred to me that 
Hawkins, Mole, and Brishani were not on council during the whole two-year process of putting together the official community plan. So they may not know why city administration thinks density is good and urban sprawl is bad. And that's why they're doing this crazy motion of theirs. So I thought it'd be handy to talk to an actual expert on this, sort of like reacquaint everybody with the reasons for why uh, the official community plan does the things that it does. Gotcha. All right, so I'll play that now. We have coming forward uh, at the beginning of August, it's a motion called the density target for market choice of housing motion. Oh, yeah. And it uses language cribbed from our official community plan about housing diversity and housing choice. But the movers of the motion aren't being too shy about the fact that what they really want to see is our density targets loosened to allow for more sort of suburban forms. Um, One of the councillors who uh, is leading this charge even went so far at a recent meeting uh, to say that uh, the mantra of density is good and sprawl is bad needs a rethink in Regina because we have lots of land. Uh, I'm wondering if you can give me sort of an explanation uh, from your perspective of why urban planners have been saying for so long that denser urban forms are beneficial. Well, I mean, they're beneficial in a number of ways. I mean, first of all, it isn't just a question of how much land is available because we have the same arguments here in Winnipeg. I mean, we're in the middle of the prairies. Look at all this land. We can see forever. What does it matter if we build another subdivision out there? But it isn't just land. It's also infrastructure. You've got to build the infrastructure to service that land. And the building of the infrastructure to service that land costs more per capita the lower the density is. You know, it also, I mean, the, the, you know, so, so there's, the, the co- there's a cost issue. There's an accessibility issue because transit becomes less viable the further out you go. And then you get into these circular arguments. Well, why should we, you know, it, 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 you know it, it, it doesn't make sense to provide transit to these low density neighborhoods. Therefore, we need to drive. If we need to drive, we need three cars in every household. We need more parking for cars, you know, and it, and it just sort of snowballs like that. I mean, one thing leads to another and it, and it just, you end up sprawl begat sprawl, right? So neighborhoods become less walkable. They become less walkable, so nobody provides sidewalks. Once there's no sidewalk, nobody walks. You know, it, 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 they, they, they go back and forth. Um, so you've got infrastructure costs. You've got viability of transit. Um, you have, in many cases, in many North American cities, sprawl and segregation go hand in hand. So the further you are from people who are different from you, the less likely you are to have any understanding or empathy for the positions of those people. So, you know, sprawl and segregation have social impacts. Um, In many cases, certainly, I don't know the history of Regina, but I can tell you that in Winnipeg, when it was going through its slowest growth periods, which was sort of between 1960 and 2000, when it was growing at less than 1% a year, which is a very small growth rate, it more than doubled its footprint, whereas it grew by only about a third. Right. Um, 
with, with and all of those things. But I mean, not only did that mean all of the things I've already said, but it also meant a hollowing out of the middle. So at the same time that you had new suburbs screaming for new schools, you had inner city schools that had to be closed because they didn't have enough students. My area of research is about aging. Um, and I can tell you that car dependent suburbs are not good for people as they age. Um, you know, there are fewer choices for them to be able to, to get around. I mean, my own father, when he hit 80, basically lost his driver's license and became totally dependent on my mother for getting around because there were no other options. So, you know, caregivers, there's a, there's a huge burden on caregivers. And of course, the mental health of older adults suffers. Um, of course, cycling infrastructure, I mean, all infrastructure costs more. There's a bunch of reasons. On, on your points about cost, one of the things that our administration has been saying for years, even up through the development of our official community plan, is this idea of growth pays for growth. And we're supposed yeah, to... Yeah, doesn't. Yeah. Well, we're supposed to be achieving this through our intensification levies. Like, And they just assure us that these intensification levies are adequate uh, to achieve this. Uh, why should we be suspicious of that, uh, that claim? Well, I think there's a few things you need to do. I mean, first of all, you need to get someone else to do the math other than the people who are telling you that. Um, yeah. You know, but also you look very carefully about what's being covered. Because I know that, you know, at one, one point, when I, when I first was looking at Winnipeg, so I, I grew up in Winnipeg, I left for 23 years, I came back and was shocked at how the city had grown, but not in footprint, but not in population. And I was getting two sets of argument, well, at least a couple of arguments. One of them was the money we get from the higher value land in the suburbs will be used to regenerate the inner city. Yeah. Well, I mean, that doesn't work if the people are leaving the inner city to buy the houses in the suburbs anyway. Um, but it also, it, and, and that continues to, under, continues to undermine the value of the land in the center of the city. So you never get that development pressure back into the city that would actually generate more income when there was more development there. Um, but... But when they did that, I mean, there were a number of suburbs in Winnipeg where they say, look, we, we gave some, some really, it sounds like a big number, but it wasn't. A couple of million bucks that went back into an inner city neighborhood because of a brand new Winnipeg suburb. I know that that money actually paid to renovate 34 houses, you know, which is nothing. Yeah. And, you know, there were several thousand houses built in the suburbs at the same time. And there was another case where they said, well, all of, you know, the developer will pay for all of the, um, you know, pays for all of the new infrastructure in the development. I mean, yes, this is the way development is typically done these days, although the city inherits the maintenance of that infrastructure, mm -hmm. which, of course, is a cost. Um, and then they said, again, we'll have all this money that can go back into the city. And then they said, oh, yes, but we forgot we have to rebuild an overpass that we need at this interchange once we built that. So then the money went to support actually the infrastructure for to reach that new suburb, not going back into the center of the city. Um, so, I mean, I think 
you know, my argument against, I'm not, I'm not against impact fees or development levies or whatever we call these things, but we've got to be clear about what we're doing with them and what we want them to do. And my argument in Winnipeg is that what we want to do is pay for, pay the costs of the bad planning we're doing now rather than encourage good development. You know, they're, they're, that it still isn't going to change no matter what you charge. It isn't going to change the cost of maintaining this new infrastructure. It's not going to change the fact that you've got to widen arterial roads to get out to that infrastructure. And those impact fees are not going to pay for new transit to get out to these, to these neighborhoods. So, you know, basically it's paying for people's car dependency. Right. And, you know, that, that cannot be a good thing. I mean, you know, look at the world, right? The world is burning and we're still going to say, let's, let's, uh, let, let's, let's, let's find a way to pay for all the fossil fuel stuff we're doing. Uh, the whole idea of how sprawl contributes to our uh, carbon footprint. I've read things that suggest that, you know, the way that we design our cities is one of the main drivers of car culture, which is in turn one of the main drivers of climate change. Um, how, how significant do you see, uh, you know, urban sprawl as, uh, as an environmental problem? Well, I, you know, I think it's, a, well, I mean, I do think it's a significant, a significant cost. I was just reading, you've probably seen this, this generating east-west thing about the the, the most uh, the most common type of car being sold right now is a pickup truck. Yep. Uh, I mean, it, it is, a, it, you know, the, the cost of individuals, because it's mostly single people driving around in cars that are generating, that, that are undermining the, the, the viability of the climate is crazy. Yeah. I mean, but, but it's more than just that, right? I mean, it's also impacting our health, um, you know, people are driving rather than walking because they have to drive because there's nowhere to walk. I mean, that there's, you know, that there's the crisis of, of, of childhood obesity. And I don't know, I mean, I, I'm, I certainly think the media has sort of woken up in the last couple, last couple of months mm -hmm. between, you know, wildfires and heat, heat domes. So, who knows? Maybe the Regina government and the Winnipeg government will wake up as well. It's hilarious in that uh, one of the people who is pushing this uh, suburban sprawl motion is also a chief champion of our renewable city motion. Yeah. So he's doing he's he's playing both sides. Um, he's also one of the chief champions of um, Regina's age friendly city policy. Oh, yeah. So I was intrigued by what you had to say about how uh, less density is bad for uh, the aging community. Suburbs are not, there's no, I don't really think there's such a thing as an age-friendly suburb. I mean, unless, unless it's got a center to it that's within walking distance. You know, the way we build most suburbs are not age-friendly. I mean, like I said, most of them don't even have sidewalks. So, you know, there was a big push here. This is when I actually first got into this. Um, one of my colleagues who was running the, the U of M's Center on Aging at the time found me and she was very excited because the city was considering requiring a new suburb to have, uh, to make all of their housing visitable. 
Do you, you know visitability? No, I don't. What does that uh, mean? So visitability means that your house has a no-step entrance okay. um, and has doors, uh, wide doors on the ground floor and at least one accessible bathroom on the ground floor. So basically it means that a friend in a wheelchair could come and visit you. Right. Or, you know, so she said, isn't this a great thing? And I said, yeah, sure, it's great. Granny can come and visit, but if she wants to go out for a walk, there's no sidewalks. So, you know, the house is visitable, but the neighborhood isn't. You know, and I mean, it, it, I don't actually, I mean, I could, I could twist this too, because I've, I've looked at a lot of smaller towns that couldn't afford to build sidewalks. And in those cases, I think, well, we need to come up with a better type of road design where the road isn't primarily for cars, right? You know, like you go for the sort of Dodge Volnov idea that, that you create re residential roads that are really shared space for pedestrians, wheelchairs, cyclists, and drivers, but not, not drivers first. So, I mean, either way, there's got to be some sort of intervention to make these things more age-friendly. And then are there things, you know, then, there, then there's um, um, age-friendly measures where they get you to go out and see how age-friendly your block is. And, you know, if, if it's got a sidewalk, you can put a little tick mark. If it's got a bench, you can put a little tick mark. And you say, my block is age-friendly. But then my question is always going to be, does the sidewalk lead anywhere? You know, can you get to a coffee shop from that? Can you get to a grocery store from that? Yeah. Um, you know, so so the walkability piece is, is really important, especially um, for older adults. And we could get even more into this and throw in dementia. You know, if you're creating a sub suburban places that even completely able-minded people get lost because all the houses look the same. <laughs> How does that work when yeah. someone has dementia? You're listening to the Queen City Improvement Bureau on 91.3 FM CJTR, tuned into the community. I think one of the uh, critiques of all of this that I often run into here is, yeah, all the ideas that you have are fine, except uh, we live so far north, we're winter cities. Uh, we oh. have to have, we, we not only need cars, we need big trucks Yeah. to get everywhere. Like, how someone, you, wrote, someone wrote in, the, in one of the threads this morning about that Globe and Mail article about pickup trucks. You know, how do you, how do you fight against Edmonton where it snows 792 days of the year? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I hear this, this, this argument happens all the time. Uh, of course, you can point out to people that you survived without pickup trucks and SUVs, even when there were cars for quite a long time without them. Yeah. Um, one of the one of the ways we did that was by clearing sidewalks. So the the more spread out the city is, the harder it is to clear the sidewalks. The more expensive it is to clear the sidewalks. Um, it's possible to design a city to mitigate against the worst of winter, and the worst of winter is actually the wind. The wind is the is the worst part. So you know you can design and you can landscape and you can build buildings that that help with with wind issues. Um, and cutting down distances between things is one of the ways that that we traditionally did that. You don't run across open fields to get from A to B. You you're, or sorry, I mean surface parking lots to get from A to B. Yeah. You know you yeah. walk along a relatively sheltered street. Um, 
where, where you're up against buildings and you can dodge inside them if you really need to when you're cold. Is There's really, I mean, the, the craziness is designing for, I mean, all of these arguments really talk about designing for the, the few days a year when it's intolerable to be outside. And then you make it you make it intolerable to be outside for all the rest of the days of the year by making the distances too great. I mean, in the summer, who wants to walk across a surface parking lot when it's 35 degrees? Yeah, That's horrible. I mean, it's the same thing we do. I mean, the, the arguments in Winnipeg around, I am sure it's the same there. Why are you designing, a, a, a taking, taking a lane out of a road for bicycling when you can only cycle three months of the year? I mean, I'm, I'm a cycle commuter. I cycle eight months of a year, typically, in Winnipeg. And, and I don't hit a whole lot of snow. Um, so first of all, I'm cycling more than three months of the year. But no one makes that argument about the shopping mall that has the parking lot that's designed for, September, for December 23rd when it's full, when it's 95% empty the rest of the time. One last thing I wanted to talk to you about is one of the motivating instances in Regina history that's led to this is a counselor represents a ward uh, called Harbor Landing and it's a relatively new suburb. When it was designed, it was designed as low to medium density, Uh, but it got developed around the time that Regina was really booming around like 2007 through 2011. The developer kept coming to council asking to increase the density. They wanted to put in more townhouses. They wanted to put in more apartments, uh, more rental even. So this councillor has seen this neighbourhood that he represents. Uh, Its density is incredibly dense and they have like a lot of uh, traffic problems, parking problems. They don't have enough school space for the number of kids who are there. But um, when they were like sort of expanding the density... Uh, they didn't change the road network and they didn't change the number of schools. They just like said yes to every request from the developers without changing the neighborhood. Right. So now this counselor is very concerned about quality of life, he says, and that dense neighborhoods, you can't have a good quality of life. Um, how do you respond to that notion that uh, you can only have a great life if you're, you know, in like R1 single family zoning on a, well, you know, your own well, little I, I push them to say, what do you call quality of life? I mean, you know, if, if you want to talk about having choices to do things, there's no reason I'm on the Harbor Landing homepage right now. There's no reason not to have these beautiful walkable parks. Actually, I rode through one very much like this in Winnipeg the other day. The yeah. great thing about the pandemic is I'm just exploring neighborhoods on my bike, right? Yeah. And, and thinking, wow, this would be really great. It's too bad it's not surrounded by medium density housing instead of these huge houses that already have large backyards. Like, why couldn't there be some media? Why, why is it that you put the big expensive houses up against this green space mm-hmm. instead of the medium density housing up against this green space? Yeah. Um, I mean, I could show, I mean, I can show you, there was, there was a project that I looked at years ago when I lived in Minneapolis that did exactly that. They created these sorts of very sustainable, you know, or at least sustainable looking green spaces, but made sure that all the housing along it was actually relatively high density, certainly compared to what was around it, because the shared amenity was then shared by more people. You know, it didn't become like a a private extension of someone's backyard. So I would challenge people to say, what do you mean by quality of life? 
because I can tell you what I want is a choice of places I can walk to. I want a choice for, I want, I want my team to be able to go somewhere on a bus or on their bike rather than me always having to drive them there. You know, there, there's quality of life isn't just, just to me, the, the choice comes in to, to a mm -hmm. lot of it, um, but also a choice of, of things to do other than sit in my house. Like most of these places, I wouldn't even say are neighborhoods. They're collections of houses. I mean, you know, you go back to that sort of, certainly the definition that the city of Winnipeg is using about complete communities. Yeah. Complete communities are just, no, are, are more than just subdivisions of houses. The services are there. All the other things are there. I would just say there's more than one definition of a quality of life. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's always, and with new development, that's always one of the biggest problems that chicken and egg around commercial and the commercial won't come until the people are there and the people don't want to go there unless the service is there. Although it does tend to have more of an impact on downtown development these days in Winnipeg than suburban development, because as you say, they just get in their car and drive to Costco. I, I'm spending a lot of time studying downtown Winnipeg right now. I mean, there are elements of it that are functional, but I, I mean, one of its problems is it's just the definition of it is just it's too big. Right. It's massive. And, you know, like 42% of it is service parking lots. And, you know, yeah. I mean, I know what Regina's is like, too. I mean, it's just smaller in the same the same set of issues. Yeah. Um, our downtown looks like a moonscape in the south half. It's just flat. And 90% yeah. of the week, there's nothing on it. Well, I think you've covered everything uh, really well. Thanks a lot for uh, taking the time to do this. All right, that was our interview with uh, Professor Richard Milgram from the University of Manitoba's Faculty of Architecture. An excellent interview. Yeah. I feel like I know more about things than I did only minutes ago. That was the hope. Well, but we are pretty much out of time. So. All right, uh, shall we move to adjourn? I would second that motion. All right, um, motion ca carried and... Meeting adjourned. You have been listening to the Queen City Improvement Bureau on 91.3 FM, CJTR, Regina Community Radio, Special Olympic Edition, Bonus Olympic Edition. You can you can find us uh, broadcast 7 to 8 on Thursday evenings and rebroadcast Monday afternoons, 3 to 4 p.m. Uh, find us as well at queencityib.com, as well as tw on Twitter, Queen City IB, and not on Facebook. Just not. Um... Up next, right? Nerdcore. Uh, Nerdcore Cabaret coming up next, followed by music all on through the night. That's it. Keep on improving, Regina.